welcome to Zombie Fishbowl, a podcast about random shit. I'm your hostess, Melanie, in the U.S., and with me is the beautiful... Danielle! (laughs) So, this week we have a pretty exciting topic that was actually a little bit more of a downer than I was anticipating, but uh, still a good one. Uh, But before we get into that, do we have any updates? Uh, Yeah, so, update... My third year of university starts tomorrow, and in the third year, you write a dissertation, and it can be get it gets quite intense by um, in your third year. So I just want to let everyone know that there's a possibility that the podcast is going to go to biweekly instead of weekly, uh, further on into the term. Not necessarily immediately, but when things start getting intense for me, I'm probably going to throw my hands up and say, Melanie, I need some time. Yeah. Um. And it'll go to fortnightly because we actually do put a lot of work into researching these topics each week. We don't just show up and and pull it out of our asses. So, yeah. So at some point in the near future, I'm only going to be appearing bi-weekly. And that leads me on to say what Melanie was going to say. Yeah, I I don't know what I'll do, but I'll try and figure out something to fill in the, the gaps of silence. Uh, whenever that does happen. Like like she said, it's not going to happen right away. But when it does happen, we'll let you know. We'll just sort of brace yourselves for that. Mm-hmm. Um, shake up of routine. We all like all routine. Uh, so, yeah. And my only real update was, I know that my, my dad's audio was not the best, so I will hopefully invest in a second microphone for whenever he comes back or whenever I decide to have other guests on that aren't Skyping in, that are physically present with me at my kitchen table. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Um, also, I realized, oh, my God, I say yeah a lot. <laughs> oh, yeah. man. Holy crap. I'm listening to that episode and it was super fun. I, I was laughing a lot with the vampire episode. Just just cracking myself up. And you were cracking me up too. But yeah, every time you uh, were saying an interesting fact, if I get ex- excited about a fact you're throwing at me, I'm like, yeah. And fuck, man, if I had a counter for how many times I said, yeah, that episode, I'd just shoot myself right now. Oh, no. But you don't actually hear how many things I edit out. I know, I know. <laughs> it's fine. I left, for those of you who couldn't tell, I actually left that episode quite organic and quite close to the actual flow of the podcast recording. I edited very little out. The only mm-hmm. things I did edit out really were when we kind of talk over each other a little bit so you can't quite tell who's saying what or things that were just... um silly and and didn't make any sense or things that made us sound stupid or a fact that wasn't quite right and coughs um and lots and lots of ums which I just did in the description of in that sentence there I just said mm, uh, mm, mm, every two seconds I edit a lot of those out but I left it very uh, sort of raw this time um so I don't know if that means Melanie's hearing things that she didn't notice before because I was um, 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 yeah, <laughs> a lot. So you say yeah, and I say um, you say um a lot. We both say um a lot. Um fills almost every sentence. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> we could never be radio. Um, yeah, see, we could never be on the radio, Melanie, because we would always say um. Uh, I think it's a, a art one perfect, but yes. Yeah, we're, we're not great at that yet. <laughs> so that, I guess, would be both my uh, update and my purge, just the amount of yes and ums that I say. I'm so sorry, and I feel stupid about it. Uh, but, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, uh, mm, uh, yeah. I bet no one's noticed it until we pointed it out now, you know. <laughs> You're going to go back and listen to that vampire episode and be like, holy shit. I want somebody to go back and count how many times they say yeah just to shame me. Yes, someone do that. Get on that. Yeah. 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 Oh! Shall I change the subjects by purging my own thing? Please. (laughs) Okay. Um, When there is too much salsa and not enough chips. Oh. We don't have that problem here so much. 
well, when there's too much hummus and not enough pizza, or mm. too much butter and not enough bread. So <laughs> <laughs> they screw you here, and they're all like, "Here's, here's, you know, yeah, here's a tablespoon of salsa to to spread among this giant sack full of chips." Mm. Okay, we can be the vice versa as well. You can have too much salsa, not mm-hmm. enough chips, and you can have too much chips and not enough salsa. Yeah. It can work both ways, but basically there's no balance between the dip and the dipping uh, food. <laughs> the dippy. Uh, the dippy. <laughs> so you go to a restaurant that puts bread sticks on, the, sorry, bread rolls on the table. You're like, hell yeah. Um, uh, but there's four bread rolls and two yeah it's a butter and you're like uh that's not enough butter but you feel like you can't ask for more butter because it was free oh i always ask for more butter because i'm just a dick yeah i'm always asking for extra sauce because they will never provide the sufficient amount you get a 10 piece of mozzarella sticks and they're going to give you literally a tablespoon of marinara well why, why, why what is that what cruel world is this it's unacceptable and that is why it's part of my purge because i went to a well i wouldn't call it a restaurant i would call it a pub that serves food and i got nachos which is not something you might think a pub would serve but actually is quite common here and i had loads and loads of chips and practically no salsa, sour cream, or guacamole on the t- on the top, like just little dollops. And I thought yeah. I'm gonna have dry chips in no time. <laughs> I'm not eating those empty calories without it being worth it. You know what I mean? Yeah, without it being exciting and and an experience. Yeah, I don't just want ready salted chips. <laughs> I want some dip on that. But when yeah. you've you know, ordered the nachos and you turn around and you say, can I have some more guac, please? They look at you funny. Yeah, like you're an elitist monster. Yeah, I know, like I am a monster. But actually, I don't know if that's true at all. Because when I worked in a restaurant, if someone asked me for more salsa, it wasn't a problem. Yeah. Just go get more. It's better to give someone too little and they have to ask for more in a society that is trying not to waste food. You just validated your own purge. Fuck! Yeah. 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 <laughs> it is about food waste at the end of the day. But somebody needs to do some kind of, you know, experiment with what's the best amount. Yeah, find out the right ratio for this. Sort this out, because this is ridiculous. Yeah. All right, I'm with you on that one. All right, shall we breathe it out? Yes, please. All right. End of one, end of two, end of three. <sighs> <sighs> Okay. Melanie, what's our topic? Our topic today is shared delusions. Right? Yes. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, a shared delusion is anything that, uh, sorry, any kind of paranoia or neuroses that more than one person experiences together. Very specifically called share psychotic disorder is a delusion that develops between people in close relationships. One, usually called the inducer or primary case, Mm -hmm. is already psychotic and has some delusion or neurosis that the other then develops in tandem, even if they themselves do not share psychotic condition. There is a spectrum of delusions the primary case might share or develop Uh, From believing that they are going to inherit money uh, from a long-lost relative to full-on supernatural conspiracies like demonic possession or alien abduction. Uh, The primary case is usually the dominant in the relationship who imposes delusions on a passive person who is not psychotic yet but becomes psychotic in a sort of symbiotic relationship. And they usually have very, very close relationships like family or spouses and partners They've usually lived together for some time and they're usually somewhat isolated from other social groups. Once the relationship is severed, the passive person usually recovers. So it is uh, definitely a condition that is held by the primary case. And once that primary case is taken away from the secondary person, that other person can then recover. And the primary case can then be treated for whatever 
psychotic disorder they actually have, which is probably like a schizophrenia or a bipolar disorder or something like that. Yeah. It can, however, occur between groups. It's not necessarily two people. So you can have a very dominant personality that then can impose themselves upon groups of people and that's where you get sort of religious sects. So you can get cults from that. You can get families that are all whisked up into uh, the neuroses of one member of the family. There's even uh, cases where animals are involved. Yeah, yeah. So it is kind of, uh, you, your common denominator is you've got your one dominant person that has a psychotic disorder that's usually undiagnosed, and then a group, a, one or more passive non-psychotic people who are very sort of impressionable. It's also known as a folie à deux, mm-hmm. which is the madness for two, or a folie à trois, which is folie for, uh, sorry, madness for three, uh, folie à quatre, <laughs> madness for four, folie à famille, madness yeah. for family, and so on. So for some reason, I found that there was French terms used quite a lot. Yeah. Oh, I was obsessed with it. I, all week, I was just like, folie à deux, folie à folie <clears throat> It's also known as infectious insanity, shared paranoid disorder, and symbiotic psychosis. Symbiotic psychosis is a great name for a metal band. Yes. Yes. Symbiotic psychosis. Folie à deux. That's the first hit. Oh, so good. That's so good. I know what we're doing when we get older. <laughs> yeah. yeah, symbiotic psychosis, the band, the musical. The musical, the musical. <laughs> the rock opera. Nice. Oh, we've got so many stories to tell. Yeah. (laughs) Delusional beliefs are not the only things that can be transferred. You can also transfer hallucinations. You can trigger medical conditions and you can alter someone's moods and emotions. So it's really quite a powerful disorder, really. Got a lot of influence over other people. Uh, uh, People suffering often appear and act totally normally as well until the subject of the delusion is brought up. So you might not know that this is happening for a long, 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 long time. It is considered a rare disorder. Yeah. Um, But we'll get into that a little bit later. Well, at least I will a little bit. And it can also result in violent criminal behaviour irrational actions, jealousy and envy of others. It can make legal proceedings very, very difficult. So if you've got people within uh, a really unhealthy relationship like this and they're divorcing or whatever, it can just make it impossible. It can also cause fanatical like sort of fanatical beliefs, so like religious groups, cults, and it can even go so far as to result in suicide and murder. A couple really famous ones there are the Jamestown Massacre and the Congo Religious Crusade against the witch uh, against witchcraft. They are thought to have been uh, examples of um, this shared psychotic disorder from a, a group perspective. It's just really sad. Uh, treatments. There's really only one treatment that they that they give in this sort of instance, which is to separate them. So you separate the dominant you know your primary case from the victims essentially uh the victim usually recovers and then the uh product the the primary case can be treated for whatever psychosis that they have because it doesn't come out of nowhere they really do have some kind of psychotic disorder that is uh feeding this paranoia and this and these delusions right so now that that is the background and definition for Shared psychotic disorder. I keep forgetting what it's actually called. Oh, it's SPD, SPD yeah. or psych, uh, shared psychotic disorder. Um, Melanie, did you find any examples that you <clears throat> share with us? Oh, so many. Yeah. And a lot of them pretty gruesome. Not not cute or fun or super fun or yeah. Because in my mind, when you said shared delusions, I just sort of had it in my head like mass mass hallucinations. 
So that's kind of what I was on the hunt for. And that really just doesn't happen so much. Um, it's more of an emotional, mental uh, like kind of break. But there, there are some that uh, that I thought were interesting. I mean, a lot of them I was finding were um, men and women. The man usually uh, with not not so much like a schizoaffective disorder, but more like a um, oh, what's the word? We have a complete lack of empathy. Uh, Sociopathic. Yeah, yeah. And he'll find a wife or a girlfriend to take care of to take care of him, and they just sort of go on a rape and murder spree. Mm. You first start looking into it, and that's pretty much almost every story I was finding. I'm all, okay, well, I'm really not in the mood to just go on about stories of rape and murder. Mm-hmm. Um, as as interesting as they can be, uh, they're also incredibly depressing and trigger-happy. So, uh, But I did find that one of my favorite stories perfectly applies to this topic. So I give you the case of uh, the Parker Hume murder case. Okay. These names may sound vaguely familiar, mm-hmm. and I'll tell you why. 1948, Juliet Hume, daughter of physicist and one of the four minds behind the British H-bomb, and her family moved from London, England, to Christchurch, New Zealand. Juliet has tuberculosis, and because of that would spend much of her time on the sidelines. Here she meets another sweet girl with osteomyelitis. It's a bone infection. Her name is Pauline Parker. Actually, her name is Pauline Reaper. And she spent her whole life believing her name was Pauline Reaper um, until during the case, they found out that the mother and father were not actually married. So she spent the rest of her life tried as Pauline Parker. Not a huge deal, but it was just something that was in my head. Their friendship came hard and fast. As it developed, they seemed to become obsessed with each other. Pauline kept many detailed journals to document nearly every moment with Juliet. They would write plays, stories, and books about the fantasy world they created together. They rejected Christ and other religious teachings, eventually writing of their own saints and their own heaven known as the fourth world. They romanticized their illnesses. They would get depressed and withdrawn if they were away from one another. Eventually, Pauline's parents in particular started to worry that their friendship was getting too close. Homosexually in those days was akin to insanity. This is the 1950s in New Zealand, after all. The Humes had their concerns as well, but not as seriously. They seemed to be a bit more liberal-minded than Pauline's. They continued to let the girls continue their friendship, even allowing Pauline to spend the night and join join them on family vacations. In 1954, Juliet's parents separated due to an affair that the mother was having. The Hume family planned to move back to England. I think they were going to try and work out their relationship. I may be superimposing something else that I know about this, but irrelevant. Um, They were going to go move back to England, um, except for Juliet, who they were going to send to South Africa for her health. It was decided between the 16-ish year old girls that Pauline would move to South Africa with Juliet, and from there run away to Hollywood or New York City to become famous actresses and to publish their stories and just live in wealth and fame and and money. Mm. Though the Humes, though, again, being a little bit more liberal-minded, seem to be generally kind of okay with it, except with the whole runaway New York Hollywood plan, because I don't think they knew about it, Pauline couldn't bring herself to ask her parents for permission. She just knew her mother would say no. Uh, Instead, she seemed to scheme with Juliet a way to moida her mother, Honora Parker. I say moida because in her diaries, she uh, actually seemed to make light of the fact that she was planning to murder her mother, by instead of saying murder, she said moida. Okay. I thought it, I thought it was cute. Like M U Y D E R. M O M O I D E R. Moida. On June twenty second, nineteen fifty four, Pauline asked her mother to go on a nice walk with her and Juliet. They had lunch at a little tea shop and went down to Victoria Park, about four hundred and thirty feet down a path of the wooded area. In that park, near a small wooden bridge, Honora Parker was bludgeoned to death with half a brick in a stocking. Moments later, Pauline and Juliet run out of the woods covered in blood to the nearby tea shop that they had eaten at only moments before, screaming about their poor mother who had just fallen and hit her head. But the police discovered the stockinged brick not long thereafter, and the accidental death story fell to pieces, not to mention the fact that Pauline's diary documented every step of the incident in gruesome, well-thought-out detail. They were both about 16 years old, so they were too young to be put to death. They each only served five years in prison. 
It's said, though not proven to be true, it's been said that they were only released on the condition that they never see each other again. After serving their time, Juliet Hume went off and traveled to England and the USA, eventually changing her name to Anne Perry and becoming a very successful historical detective novelist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She's Mormon now. And insists- yeah, yeah, right. She's Mormon now and insists that though the relationship was obsessive, they were never lesbians. Pauline remained under close surveillance uh, for a long time uh, before also moving to England. She eventually ran a children's writing school, becoming Roman Catholic and showing great remorse for having moited her mother. They have not remained in contact. Does all of this sound familiar? Vaguely. Well, it should. It's the story behind Peter Jackson's Heavenly Creatures. Ah. It's okay, my, one good. of my favorite movies. <laughs> it came out in 1994. Super young Kate Winslet and Melanie Linsky. And uh, was actually really highly appraised, though it didn't actually win any awards, I think. Um, but it used real excerpts from uh, Pauline's diaries and everything. It was It was spot on. It was really beautiful. Really incredible movie. So is Pauline considered the primary case and Juliet yes. the um, imposed upon? I believe so, because, I mean, Pauline was, uh, Juliet was able to move on and out pretty quickly. It was like almost as soon as they were separated, there was a distinct shift in her behavior. and She seemed well different, like well recovered, mm. um, whereas they had to keep Pauline under surveillance for a bit longer. Uh, And Pauline was the instigator of the murder itself. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Now, they could not prove any sort of, like, who had what sort of mental disorder, but it could have just been the fact that they both lived with these uh, health issues and Mm -hmm. found someone to bond with. I mean, and with uh, puberty and all that shit, all those those hormones and whatnot, it was just sort of, they, they just set each other on fire really quick. Yeah, well, if anyone's ever been in a toxic relationship before, you know that there's usually kind of a dominant and a passive within that. And we've all mm-hmm. probably had one where we've been the passive, where we'll let someone just walk all over us. And then we've also had one where we've been the dominant, where we know we've been a bit manipulative. So yeah. it's how social relationships develop as you're, as you're growing up as well. So being that they were 16... Mm-hmm. You know, they, they, it doesn't surprise me that they, that any 16 year old would have a, a relationship that's kind of obsessive. And, but, you know, at the same time, there's obviously something going on when it gets so bad that they moider their mm-hmm. mother or her, yeah. her mother, one mother. So, you know, there's a little bit more going on there. So, Mm-hmm. Yeah, and apparently their their real obsession with this whole other world that they created, this fantasy world, their saints, their heaven, like they, it was real. It was very real to them. You know, it wasn't just some sort of fanciful. You know, like we joke about creating a death metal band in our seventies. This this was uh, very 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 real to them. Yeah, blimey. And they're still they're still knocking about. Oh yeah, in your neck of the woods. Fantastic. <laughs> so one's, one's a Mormon and is a crime novelist mm-hmm. in England, and yep. the other one's a Catholic. And what did she, Julia, end up doing? Runs a children's riding school, like uh, horse riding. Equestrian. Oh, that posh shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whoever would let their children go to riding school, poshos. <laughs> hey, I feel attacked right now. <laughs> that was very deliberate. That was the point. God. That's what you're supposed to say. Um, <laughs> Melanie lets her daughter go and do dressage. No dressage. Go fuck yourself with that. <laughs> She took some writing classes, and she actually totally lost interest in it, so she's not doing it anymore. Oh, really? But, yeah. Yeah. I wanted, I wanted more of a cowgirl type thing anyway, so. That's fine. That's fine. It's an expensive hobby. Oh, boy. Boy, oh, boy. <laughs> she got a blue ribbon. She's good. She's done. 
Oh. All right. Mo- moving on to another moida, or actually attempted murder. The mm. Slender Man stabbings. Oh, yes. Yeah. So I don't like to give any kind of credit to shitty people when I can help it. And let's face it, a lot of the time when shitty people do incredibly violent things, it's for the notoriety and fame that could come with it. So I'm not totally sure that's the case here, but being as both the kids involved were actual minors and it's still fairly recent, I'm not going to mention their names. I just kind of feel better about it that way. It may be that it feels less real, less personal to keep actual names out of it, but that's my own thing. Whatever. Anyway, in... uh, Wakasha, Wisconsin, in 2014, two 12-year-old girls lured their friend into the woods and stabbed her 19 times. Horrendous. Yeah. Now, these girls had no history of violent or aggressive behavior, but again, they're 12, so they don't have a lot of history in general anyway. No clear signs that either had any sort of mental instability whatsoever. Apparently, one night, they came across a creepypasta story about the Slender Man who is an entirely fictional but fairly convincing story about a man-like creature that stands abnormally tall and thin with long tentacle-like arms and a nice black suit. Can I just interject real quick just to do a public service announcement? Creepypastas are fake. Creepypastas are fiction. I'm so sick of people going... I read this creepypasta about this haunting or whatever and actually thinking that it's real. I understand why you think it's real because the rule of the Reddit, it's it's a subreddit on, um, it's, a, it's a category on Reddit, which is called creepypasta. And it has, it has its own website as well. But the rule is that everyone has to pretend that the stories are real. So when yeah. you read comments underneath, it has to be in character. But if you read the rules, you'll understand that it's simply to make the story bigger than just the story so that the story can live on within the comments it's mm-hmm. a fun thing and it is it is fun when you get involved in it because people can come up with conspiracy theories and all sorts that go along with the story because everyone's pretending that it's real here is my public service announcement listen to me right now <laughs> it's <laughs> like the onion creepy pastas are fake they are yeah. fictional stories fiction Mm-hmm. Stop using it as evidence in your ghost videos. Stop right now. Right? <laughs> right? Creepypastas are fake. God. I mean, and and what's what's really neat about creepypasta is that they do have the way that they're treated, the way that they're treated as to be real, really gives it an element of like a folkloric yeah. mythology. You know, so absolutely, you tell me a story about Slenderman, if I don't know it's creepypasta, I'm going to be like, oh, fuck yeah. That is why I wanted to say that before you went into the story about these two little girls, because they didn't know that creepypastas weren't real. They were sucked into the world of it. And it is, there are some amazing, amazing creepypastas that Mm -hmm. I have legitimately gone on research rabbit holes, trying to find out whether this was real or not, because some people are so thorough about it. Um, We should put creepypastas as a subject. Yeah, absolutely. That would be a really, really good one. I'm writing it down. Creepypasta is going to be um, a subject, and we'll delve into the other things that are related to it, like no sleep. Yeah. Okay. My favorite. Okay. So. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, but they yeah they just didn't know that it wasn't real. The stories change all the time about Slenderman. There's no real folklore on him since he was only conceived of in 2009. So he's, I guess Slender Man is believed to kidnap children, torture children, something like that. I really don't know much about it. The story keeps changing. He takes children, not necessarily kidnaps them because some go voluntarily. That's right. But he is, he's kind of, what's he called in, he's like a child snatcher, but he's a lot more demonic rather than criminal. So I think that the concept behind him is that he is a, a demon or a spirit or some kind of supernatural entity who collects children. But there is not really much behind the why and the where and the how. Yeah. But you can voluntarily go with him as well. So these two girls became obsessed with Slenderman and they convinced themselves that they needed to perform a murder for, Slen- for Slenderman to become his proxies 
prove his existence, protect their families, and live as his servants in his mansion, which they believed was located in Nicolette National Forest. The also 12-year-old girl that they attacked was a friend of theirs, and they actually had planned to attack her the day before. Um, numerous different uh, attempts. They were, they were thinking about lowering her into a bathroom and letting the blood drain down the 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 little thingy in the public bathroom. It was, it was the whole scheme. But they decided to give her an extra day, eventually luring her into the woods with a game of hide-and-seek, I believe, or tag. I forgot to write that one down. That sucks. So she was stabbed 19 times and actually survived, was able to crawl to the nearest road where she was found, and she recovered after six days in the hospital. So thank God there's at least that yeah. kind of ending to yeah. it. Yeah. Um, the two attackers, though, again, 12 years old, were charged with attempted murder and pled guilty. They were found to be not guilty by insanity, which is saying a lot. Mm. It's, it's hard to actually get that to work for you, the whole insanity thing. Yeah, they were proven to be delusional and misled. Uh-huh. And they will each be serving 25 to 40 years in mental health facilities. I was going to say, but that doesn't mean they get off. It just means they don't go to jail. Yeah. So, and yeah, they've got way more time than uh, Pauline Parker and Juliet Hume. That's, that's a fair amount of time. Yeah. Have you seen, did you watch the videos of their police interviews? These oh. two innocent-looking... Well, I mean, they are innocent children who are talking about what they did. One's quite a tomboy, and the other one is, uh, you know... Well, I suppose they're both kind of tomboys, but one's more tomboy than the other and really reminds me of me because she has, like, a little brown bob like I used to have mm, when I was yeah, like, yeah. So it's really disturbing to me because I know that I was quite vulnerable at that age as well, and had I come across somebody that was a big personality I don't know how yeah. I, I might have been convinced because that's the thing that I think with this one there's dispute over who would be considered the primary and who would be considered the sort of passive because they both contributed and it's re really hard but it seemed to be there was the the brunette with the bob and there was a blonde girl I think that if I remember correctly the blonde girl is the one that most people think was the primary case yeah and that the brunette, the tomboy brunette, was the one that kind of went along with it, but totally believed it as well. So you say went along with it, but that implies that they know that they're doing something that they're not quite sure of. But actually, no, they go along with it only because it's been fed to them by somebody else, but they totally believe it. Yeah, completely believe it, 100% convinced. And, and yeah, without actually having been in the room when they decided what they were going to do, what they were going to do, we don't know who was the dominant one in that sort of situation. I feel like that's a lot of what contributes to not knowing how many cases there really are of this shared mm -hmm. delusion out there because, um, or I should say specifically of shared psychotic disorder, because it, it's a designated rare occurrence. And I found that to be quite surprising to me because I think that it's only designated rare because it's really hard to recognize and diagnose. But yeah, I genuinely yeah. think that this shared um neurosis this this symbiotic paranoia that can occur between two unhealthy people or one healthy person and one unhealthy person i think it happens all the fucking time and i just think it's really hard to recognize because i can i can only tell you from my own personal experience that if you get in a room with someone who's really charismatic and you really want them to like you and you have low self-esteem, and I'm not talking low self-esteem like they talk about in elementary school, I'm talking low self-esteem where you think of yourself as a piece of worthless shit. Yeah. Low self-esteem. But this person's giving you attention and giving you positive feedback and oh, yeah, yeah. reinforcement. You are going to bend over backwards for this person. This is how cult leaders do their shit. This is how sociopaths convince people to do their bidding. I know that I would be susceptible to these people. And I know that, you know, I don't know how far someone could push me. I'd like yeah. to think that I'm better than that. I would be able to snap out of it when mm -hmm. it came to like crazy shit. Actually, I'm fairly certain I'd be able to start recognizing crazy shit like it was you're, you're also about. you're incredibly logical too so as yeah, soon as it's feeding you something that's like kind of 
pretty out there, you'd be like, oh, okay, wait a second. Yeah, because I remember I actually did have a short relationship with somebody who... <laughs> okay, right. So you know how uh, our mutual friend whom I dated on and off for five years? Yes. Yes. In one of the periods at which we were off, I dated this guy in the valley. I will not name him, but he is not a part of my life anymore. He was all right, but about two or three weeks into the relationship, he started talking about the Illuminati. Oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I remember thinking, what have I gotten myself into? (laughs) So he was really charismatic. It was really, he was really nice. He was a, a welcome sort of relief from the relationship that I had been having because this guy yeah. is very, very positive towards me and blah, blah, blah. But, but yeah, Illuminati, all that conspiracy theory bullshit. Also, 9-11 was an inside job and all that stuff. And I was like, all right. The final <laughs> straw was when he shouted at his mom down the phone. And I was like, right, I'm out of here. So yeah, yeah. I think that my logical mind does kick in even when I'm desperate for attention. So... Anyway, I, that's not to take anything away from the people that do end up a victim of this. Or is is it is it fair to call them a victim? Because the that yeah, would that's insinuate that the person is primary is a is doing something voluntarily, and they're they're not. And they're not. Yeah. They're not perpetrators. They're just instigators. It's a bit different. Exactly. I mean, in some cases, like with the the couples that do the whole raping and murder thing, then yes, I, I would consider the, the woman to be kind of a victim. Uh, but for the most part, yeah, a lot of them, they don't realize what's happening until they're already way fucking in it. Yeah. yeah. In fact, one of the things I read about um, S- SPD is that it's actually a symptom of unhealthy relationships rather than the symptoms of an individual. So you can't blame one or the other. It is a symptom of a toxic relationship. Yeah, well, and even um, and sometimes it can just happen almost instantaneously. Like mm-hmm. there was these two twins um, in in Ireland who just yeah. like had a nervous breakdown at the exact same fucking time, like boof, and totally out of their minds. And as soon as they were away from each other, they were better. And like yep. before that, they were perfectly fine, perfectly normal. And as soon as they came together, it was just like complete batshit crazy madness. Yeah, and since they've been separated, they've been fine as well. They've been fine, yeah. <laughs> That's an infamous case um, that ended up on the news a, a bit because they did some bizarre things like they walked down the motorway and they yeah. had to be taken to the hospital by the police, but the police didn't section them. So they left and then they did it again. And it was just a bit of madness going on. It's um, But I, I, as far as I understand, it, nobody got hurt that, that time, did they? No, I don't think so. But I mean, like one of them was like bludgeoning herself in the head with a hammer. Yeah, 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 yeah. Self-inflicted injuries. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> that was crazy. If you think about how easily we are accepting this this disorder and how we can definitely understand how, that it's happened and that it can happen, and just from living our lives, can you imagine how many people in history might have been involved in this kind of relationship? You know, yeah. things that are quite infamous to us that are actually symptoms of, that are actually examples of SPD. Mm-hmm. I, the the biggest one that jumps into my 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 mind is James the the sixth and the witch hunts. Okay, yeah, that's just like one off the top of my head. In terms of, he was psychotic and he was paranoid about witches. It's very symptomatic of the time to be yeah. paranoid about witches. He, he didn't but, start off paranoid about witches, though, right? Like, he was actually kind of in the bank in the bank of uh, let's not go murdering people on potential witchcraft, or am I thinking of a different monarch? The one that or... wrote Demonology. Okay. Yeah, he, he fucking hated witches. <laughs> he wanted them. I think that there was a time where it got a bit out of hand. I think the witch, the witch finder general, John Hopkins, or whatever, John Hopkins, he kind of went above and beyond but that's that's another thing about contextually people's paranoias and delusions will manifest differently because it's definitely culturally prescribed which kind of feeds into the one that I was going to talk about which is the dancing plague of 1518 so if you put yourself in the mindset of a medieval sort of pauper peasant in Germany 
in the 16th century, there's a lot of bad shit going on. I'm going to just yeah. surmise it and say there was death and famine and blight and terrible taxes and the religion was... People were incredibly religious, but the church were naughty and they were doing nasty things to people and they had lost sort of the confidence of the people, but yet people were still very superstitious and very, very religious. Um, and it all kind of came to a head when uh, people started to break out in this weird disorder where they would just start dancing for days <laughs> on end without resting eating or uh drinking or anything like that i'm not gonna go all the way into the dancing plague of 1518 because it's through this conversation that i realized that i'm stretching the definition of shared delusion a little bit in order to get this in because it's quite a fun thing but well, essentially I, but I don't even know that because i mean a lot of the time when researching it it, it was just Shared delusion was so close in hand with like mass hysteria yeah. and and mass delusional uh, instances. So I don't think it's a far stretch at all because I came across similar stories. So go. Okay. Well, it it does fall into the, the, the sort of mass. What did you say there? Mass hysteria. Mass hysteria. But um, I'm trying to put it into context because I think that's really important that people understand that. That you've got a lot of really, really superstitious people that are suffering really, really, really badly, and they're probably at breaking point at this at this yeah. point in time, where you just <laughs> I can't even imagine what it was like to live around the medieval period as a peasant, and apart and all the things I read was saying that it was especially bad for even the medieval period during this time. So for the records to sort of state that it was especially bad for a medieval period, <laughs> you know it's got to be bad. But basically, it all started with this particular one was started by one person. So the the the, the dancing plague of 1518 was in Strasbourg in what is modern day France. I accidentally said Germany before I meant France, but the reason I said Germany is because it's along the Rhine River. And the Rhine runs into Germany. And there are about seven other cases of dancing fevers along the Rhine River. And that goes into Germany, which is why I said They're that. Like but this, same thing. <laughs> this particular instance was in Strasbourg, which is what is modern day France. Also, Strasbourg sounds like a German name anyway. Totally does. Yeah. <laughs> um, it started with one person, person, so we'll call her patient zero, <laughs> or the primary case, Mrs. Truffle. Truffle. No. I don't think that's right. Truffed. Mrs. Truffed. I like Mrs. Truffle. I know, I think my handwriting is terrible. It's either Truffle or Truffed, but my handwriting is terrible, and I can't... <laughs> She suddenly just started dancing in the street. She She's patient zero. And within a week, 34 people had joined in. Nice. Um, it made everybody really paranoid. Uh, it, it, you'd think people would think it was ridiculous, but actually they were terrified. Yeah. They completely got behind that they thought that they were cursed. And let me put this further into context. There is a um, saint that that local area used to pay a lot of attention to. And his name was, I think, uh, St. Vital. I think that's how you pronounce it. Is it a Vital or Vital? Vital, maybe, yeah. Vital, who was a patron saint of people that had, uh, of, of, amongst other things, epilepsy and disorders that make you convulse and yeah. things like that. And when saints are venerated they also sorry saints are also venerated for being able to cure these kind of elements but they're also feared to be able to make them happen in people as well I'm trying to think of the word of that um inflict people with it when he's when they're angered Got it. So, so when people started to spontaneously dance in the street in an area that's only i think like 25 kilometers away from a shrine to vital saint vital Mm. I think that contextually we can assume that they probably thought that all these people were cursed by this saint. 
yeah. In yeah. fact, we can know that for a fact because a group of pilgrims went to the cave where his shrine was to pray to him to ask him for forgiveness for whatever they'd done. But within a month, anyway, over 400, around 400 people were dancing. Now, this was exacerbated because at first, the doctors who of the time, the physicians of the time, said that they thought the best way to cure people of this was to keep dancing. Make them dance it out, yeah. Yeah. So once they'd kind of set aside the the idea that it was a curse, these physicians said that it was a natural disease and it was caused by hot blood. And so basically hot blood can boil the brain is what physicians used to believe. So they just sort of went, okay, so it's a natural disease caused by hot blood boiling the brain, make them dance it out. The only way to get it out of their system is for them to dance for a day and a night nonstop and it'll cure them. So they opened up halls and public spaces and employed musicians to play so that people could dance their affliction away. While yeah. all this did really was, first of all, cause just irreparable damage in the people who are already suffering because now they're exhausted and being encouraged by musicians and, and also other dancers coming in. So people started to drop dead. People were having strokes and heart attacks. Now there's conflicting conflicting information about that if you guys just go and sort of peruse the wikipedia page the wikipedia page says that there's no contemporary reports that state that anyone died but i read an actual academic paper in which it states that people did die of heart attacks and strokes so um if you want to go and delve into the details of it go ahead but i can't be asked but from the source that i got that was an academic paper on science on uh, like a what was the website science direct or something like that hold on it's an academic paper thing yeah science direct they were doing what do we know what kind of dances they were doing um well they were um hop skip and leap lots of sort of like very and like convulsive um um actions yeah that's what i was going to say it was sort of culturally prescribed because they would expect to behave and move in a certain way uh subconsciously it's kind of like when people get possessed by demons they know how they should act and how they should look and in different cultures it looks differently so people who are possessed in you know haitian culture will look different to someone who's possessed in eastern european cultures and things like that so i think that it was probably very regionally specific dances <laughs> so, yeah um so i was like right so there's conflicting evidence over whether people died i'm gonna go with people did die because the source that i found said that people did have um uh strokes and uh, heart attacks which would have scared people even more there's also a lot of collaborative evidence. There's physicians and doctors' notes. There's sermons. Local and regional newspapers covered it. There's even notes taken by the city council. So there's a lot of people involved here. And like I said, there was uh, seven more cases have had precluded this. So this was like eighth on the list. Funnily enough, this is the last one in the Rhine region, which is kind of coincides kind of coincides with the um, secularization of the society so yeah, as people yeah, yeah so it's, it's it there's definitely something in the faith and the and the superstitious beliefs of the people at the time um but essentially the what makes this so weird is that it's just four almost 400 people simultaneously dancing and also begging for help they weren't yeah. happy about it they were in trance like states and they would dance and dance and dance and dance and then they would ex- like sort of collapse with exhaustion and beg people cure me help me I'm, I'm so tired yeah it was horrendous now now lots of theories have come I say lots there's about three three predominant theories um about what caused this and other examples of dancing epidemics and one of them is that like I was leading up to, which was this stress that was being put on the poor 
and they were at breaking point and this was just triggered by one person who then it just spread like an epidemic and it is one of those shared delusion things where you start with one and the everyone else is influenced and everyone else is influenced and it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger so that is certainly you know the mass hysteria caused by a stress-induced psychosis basically i mean that's 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 the most logical of the theories in terms of what i understand about psychology and about shared delusions other people might give it supernatural origins like curses or you know things like that there's also an idea that it was food poisoning specifically ergot so ergot like i mentioned in the bog bodies episode is a, a bacteria that specifically sorry not bacteria it's a fungi that specifically grows on particular types of wheat you know rye especially which is a very dominant plant in agricultural france and germany and everywhere like that and it does cause psychoactive reactions so it is (laughs) ergotamine is related to lysergic acid diethymide lsd LSD. so basically if you've got ergot poisoning you've you're you're on lsd you're tripping balls you are tripping balls and that actually seems to satisfy the idea that everyone was drinking the water or the ale or whatever and everyone slowly got this poisoning and shared in the delusion but actually they were just high as a kite well if you couple that with the sheer exhaustion of being poor in a very hard time with a saint that is particular to like spastic body movements like Mm. apoplexy and things like that i mean it makes absolute sense it was probably just the the first patient zero had a semi uh seizure but was also tripping balls and it came into a dance and everyone's just like oh that's right we're all kind of fucked right now whoa and then just kind of like spiraled out yeah it could be a trigger and i i would i would argue that it's possible that all of the above was taking place the Mm -hmm. arguments against the ergot fungi poisoning is that it doesn't last as long as four to six days which is what the what was it what did i call her mrs trufford she danced for either four or six days it's not clear the the high wouldn't last that long lsd is like a one day trip at the most But that said, like you have said, they were already at breaking point. They were already ready for, I mean, they were stressed. You take a psychotic drug, give someone a trip, they might not come down from it because they're now psychotic. Mm-hmm. So Exactly, the, yeah, yeah, like it broke them. It broke them. So that was just the straw that broke the camel's back. There's other arguments against the ergot fungi fungi poisoning as well because of the other cases of the dancing epidemic it doesn't explain why all those cases happened and why they all occur along the rhine river because they don't all have the same agricultural environments yeah in all the different places so it's not possible for all eight or I think in some some sources said 10, but there's eight to 10 cases where people have this dancing fever or this dancing plague. And it's not, and they're all sort of in different regions, but all along the Rhine River. So, I mean, <clears throat> those are people that know better than me. It's possible that ergo fungi can't travel along waterways. It needs the, the plant itself. But, you know, the, the Maybe there's something in it that that's the kind of uh, catalyst mm-hmm. and that people are expected to react in a certain, not expected, but they sort of know what a psychotic breakdown looks like in terms of they, they're going to dance if they go mad. Dancing yeah. is what mad people look like kind of thing. And it could just be a series of different kinds of triggers. And in this case, the trigger yeah. could have been ergot fungi poisoning I think these people just really wanted to dance and they couldn't <laughs> stop themselves. 
I mean, <clears throat> there are other, there are worse ways to go, aren't there? <laughs> I'm dancing to that sounds pretty awful. Also, 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 it affected um, what's the word? Disproportionately, um, young females, which yeah, is yeah. not synonymous with a with a food poisoning yeah. epidemic. It would have been pretty much a a fair mix of the population. Apparently, it was mostly young females, which I feel like it it might just be that they were. If we take away the fungi altogether, they're the ones that are the most mad because they get <laughs> at, at the closest to breaking point. But yeah, uh, there's arguments to and fro. There's lots of interesting things to think about. But at the end of the day, for nearly 400 people nearly danced themselves to death and nobody knows why. Brutal. And everyone was scared and everyone was worried and nobody referred to them as... Uh, Nobody thought that they were evil or demonically possessed or anything like that. They were victims of a curse or they were victims of a disease. And it was nobody was having fun. Nobody enjoyed watching it. No one enjoyed being a part of it. Yeah. Um, and it was a basically grim time anyway, the 16th century Europe. Not a very fun time to be. There'd already been, oh God, what's two waves of plague? <laughs> and there's another one to come. <clears throat> So there's, one in the, there's one in the 12th century and there's another one in the 14th century. Yeah, people can correct me if I'm wrong, but like I said, plague comes in waves and they'd already had a couple and I think they're ready for a couple more. I'm not even sure. Plague uh, plague experts, get in touch. <laughs> yeah, right. Correct us, please. If we're I wrong. Just, I definitely don't want to live in the medieval period, but I'd really like to visit. <laughs> With, like, a proper gas mask and, like, you know, all your flu shots. Yeah, I'd have to be in some kind of protective barrier. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Do you want me to go into my last uh, last little thing? Yep. All right. So the last one I have, actually, I have a couple more, and I was really concerned that I didn't have enough. This always happens. So I'm happy. Uh, Last one I want to bring up here is the laughter epidemic of Tanganyika. Um, Tanganyika is uh, what is now Tanzania, but it used to be this place called Tanganyika. So you mean Ma- Tanzania? Tanzania? Did I? What did I say? Tanzan Tanzania? I don't even Tanzania. know. Tanzania, I think you said. Wow. Wow. <laughs> sure. That place. Uh, so in 1962, it started. Uh, what started out as a chuckle between two or three girls in a mission-run boarding school uh, for girls in Kashasha. Hashasha, turned into an epidemic. Um, soon, 45 children in the school were affected with non-stop laughing. Eventually, roughly 1,000 people were afflicted. 14 schools nearly uh, were temporarily shut down. Mostly children, mostly girls, um, but the, effect, the adults could not work or function with the incess- incessant anxiety-induced laughter. On a more specific note, so you don't think that it was just giggling, they were recurring attacks of deep, hard laughter and crying that would last for from a couple hours to 16 days. And I say recurring, so you could have a 16-day run of laughter, be done, and then it'll start right back up again. Yeah. Did they make a movie about this? I don't know. This Possibly? sounds really familiar to me. I, w- I wouldn't be surprised. It's fucking rough. Yeah. Um, I mean, this also was accompanied with restlessness, aimless running, and occasionally violence. Because you laugh that hard that long, uh, you just you just fucking are going crazy. I believe that the school uh, that had the first cases actually ended up getting sued by some of the other schools that were forced to temporarily shut down because they blamed this one particular school for not containing the epidemic. Mm-hmm. Um, one explanation is that it was stress-induced. In 1962, Tanganyike had just won its independence um, and from like a really oppressive regime. So just won its oppress, uh, independence. So there's like this great kind of weight lifted off. And at the same time, the schools were really coming down hard on these students and teachers to perform 
better, to just be amazing. I believe there were uh, like English-run, Christian-run schools. So the expectations by teachers and parents was just really hard on these kids. Uh, these things together probably led the students to feel the weight lifted off of their parents' shoulders from the independence and, and couple that with the academic stress, and they just had manic episodes. Right. The laughter epidemic lasted for 18 months. Oh, God. Which is crazy. Um, that's that's really kind of all there is to say about it. There was I don't believe there were any deaths. It was just uh, sheer exhaustion. I, I mean, I have um, I have bipolar disorder, which means that I occasionally actually have laughing. Uh, they, we call it an episode here, um, where if I'm particularly stressed and then something makes me laugh. Sometimes I can just be laughing nonstop for hours and there are tears pouring down my face. My body hurts and starts locking, but I can't stop laughing. Mm. And it's, it's, it's terrifying. It's completely manic. It's not funny. My kids have seen it and it, and it scared them and it's, it's heartbreaking. So like when I read that, I was just like, Oh, I know exactly what that feels like. <laughs> yeah. No, not fun. It does sound like another sort of example of a, almost like culturally prescribed way to go mad so laughing is definitely sort of socially seen as if you laugh too much you're a little bit mad hence the maniacal laughter of clowns and things like that Mm -hmm. so it's possible that in tanzania the, the laughing is a sign of maybe a possession or madness of some kind i know in western cultures laughing a lot is a sign of mental illness Um, and apparently there was another one in Japan mm-hmm. uh, similarly and I think that it's, again in Japanese culture to be over the top in your behavior is considered madness so like to, to, to draw so much attention to yourself so laughing is definitely something that would draw a lot of attention to yourself well and also it's it's one of those things where when you are in a very stressed state right you don't laugh I mean, your your joy is so far from where you are that if something actually triggers you into laughing, sometimes it's just like, oh, my God, I needed this so hard. And you just keep doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no real intention. There. It's just sort of letting it out. And then your body is just rushing with all of these endorphins that it hadn't been playing with for so long. And it doesn't know what to do that. You're just fucking overloaded. And then you physically it is physically when I'm in a laughing episode, it is physically impossible for me to stop. Yeah, and I believe that that is your mind over your body, mm-hmm. because I think that there's definitely room for psych, you know, um, study uh, between the links, the links between mental health and laughter. Because if you think about the links between depression and comedians, uh, people mm-hmm. that that laugh for a living, who are <laughs> disproportionately depressed people, yeah. disproportionately commit suicide and so there's something there's a link between humor and madness yeah so i want to know more about that i know and i'm sure that there's probably loads of papers people exploring the idea that laughter is a symptom of such and such a you know mm-hmm. thing i'm sure there's loads of it but there's definitely and it's all i can think about right now is how excited i am to see the new joker movie yeah right (laughs) i'm almost talking about the joker when i'm trying to get these words out of my mouth because have you seen the trailers for the new with joaquin felix holy shit it looks so good it looks so fucking good it looks so good it's gonna destroy me isn't it i I think it's gonna destroy a lot of us like and, and tim he does not care about uh uh, superheroes or, or any of that so much um and i was like tim dude you gotta see this fucking trailer it is so yeah. it is so good so is it batman is... gonna be in it I'm all, i don't think so i think I it's think all so this ah it looks so good it's it's like oh, I, it's an origin story that is not from a comic book i don't even know what to say it's something yeah. else entirely it's gonna bring ah it looks so good I'm, like i don't like getting my hopes up for things yeah because i'm so often disappointed 
but that looks so good <laughs> and I love Joaquin Phoenix so much that yeah I, just... yeah I know you do yeah <laughs> I like chubby Joaquin Phoenix though really yeah no. <laughs> I like him in all forms he's adorable yeah he went weird for a while I'm glad he's got rid of the beard yes right Ooh, was not appreciating that so much Although, to be fair on him, that was supposedly all a, like, sort of artistic choice. Yeah, it was for a character or something for, you weren't even there or something for a film. It was an experiment. I forgive him. It didn't work for me, but it's fine. (laughs) He he turned it around. (laughs) Little shout out to Joaquin Phoenix at the end of our Shared Delusions episode. Everything comes full circle. And and with that, that actually leads to my, my quote real perfectly. Mind if I just throw that in there quickly now yeah, before, yeah. before it's no longer like perfect for the mood? Laughter and tears are both responses to frustration and exhaustion. I myself prefer to laugh since there is less cleaning up to do afterwards. Kurt Vonnegut. Oh, wow. Ooh, I like that. That's good. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> so if you liked what we were talking about and all of uh, that fun stuff, if you want to hear a story that I didn't include, let's just say it involves Kentucky space goblins and uh, kind of loving that. If you want to hear about that, let us know at our Twitter, our Instagram, our Facebook at Zombie Fishbowl or Zombie Fishbowl Podcast. If you have any topics you want to throw at us, email us at zombiefishbowlpodcast at gmail.com or again, hit us up on any of the social media. We are on iTunes now, so if you want to subscribe, leave us some stars, some reviews, please, please. Yes, I really please. appreciate it. Please. Yes, please. <laughs> Not that we're desperate. Um, we'd love that. Sure would appreciate it. Um, and with that, let's get on to our topic. Random topic picker. Random topic picker. You're a random topic picker, and you're going to pick a topic. Ooh. Cursed tombs or graves. Ooh. Okay, yeah. The cursed final resting place of a person. Ooh, that could be a fun one. Yep. There's, I mean, straight off the top of your head, you could think of tombs as in, you know, Egypt, ancient Egypt, cursed tombs. Yeah. Cool. That's a fun one. So next week is cursed tombs. <laughs> well, that was fun and dark and uh, all of the above. <laughs> still fun. Yes, still fun. And I learned a lot. I love talking. I love talking mental. Uh, I love talking mental health. I love talking psychology. So that's that's always a ball for me. Yeah, me too. I guess it sounds smart. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. So do you want to wrap us up then? Because we've not said bye yet. All right, well then, fine. Bye. No, I'm... <laughs> fine, I'll do it. Thanks for listening, people. Uh, listen next week. Uh, zombie Fishball. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Wait, uh, Bethany, I forgot what? to tell you not to panic. No. 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 There you go, that'll do. <laughs>